Wow, welcome. Haven't seen this many people in this building for a year. Don't tell anybody. It's very full. It's beautiful, you're right. My name's Nathan, this is Melissa. We're going to share some thoughts tonight. Essentially, friends, what we're doing is we're engaging in a very old story. Um, And it's the story that is referred to as the Christian calendar. And it begins in Advent with anticipation of the birth of Christ. And then Christmas celebrates the birth of Christ. And then following Christmas, all the way up till yesterday, we're celebrating the revelation of who Christ is. That's the season of Epiphany. It's like, aha, I see, I realize who he is. And this story is so important for so many reasons. What we're doing now is we're entering into the final part of the story, which is a 40-day fast that leads us to the biggest feast of the Christian calendar, the biggest celebration in Christianity, which is the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus, which we celebrate on Easter. And then the rest of the year, like summer and fall, we just sort of bask in the reality of the resurrection. Here's why, even though many of us, unless you were raised in a historic Christian tradition that celebrated the the seasons of the Christian calendar, much of this is new to most of us, but it's so effective. This story is effective. This story reveals to us who God is. This story reveals to us who we are, where we land in in the grand scheme of things, how we are to live this life, how we can engage in the difficulties and the conflicts that we have in our own relationships, in our own homes. This story is the grand narrative in which we rightfully understand who we are. So it is so important that we engage in this story. I think it's one of the most important practices that we can engage in as Christians, as those maybe who are just considering Christianity. So welcome. Uh, We're going to share a little bit specifically about tonight. Uh, We're going to teach, and then we're going to offer the receiving of the mark of the cross in ashes on your forehead, which is the classic traditional experience that goes along with, with Ash Wednesday, which is tonight. All right, so uh, we're going to, oh, I wanted to say this. Hopefully you've got a, a, a notes page with like four boxes on it, um, an acorn. There's, there's tools for kids like clipboards and things. So raise your hand if you can use some help and someone will come up and try to assist you. And we're fine with some movement and noise and we're not going to teach long if I can ever get started. And we'll, um, and we'll move right through it, all right? So we're going to consider something that Jesus said a few days before he was killed. And it's important because he says this to explain how something good is going to come out of something terrible, which is his own death. And the second reason that he says this is to teach a really important principle that we all need to know and hopefully we will all embrace. Here's what Jesus said. He said this in John 12, Very truly I tell you, Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. So in other words, death comes before life. And this is weird, right? Because typically we think the opposite. We think that life comes before death. You know, first you live, then you die. But Jesus is saying the opposite here. First death, then life. And there's a greater spiritual principle here. So 
Nate, what is going on? That's yeah. kind of weird. Yeah, John records this fascinating sequence of events that culminates in this teaching of Jesus in John chapter 12. If you got your Bible or uh, you want to open it up on your phone, check out John chapter 12. I'm going to summarize it. The chapter begins with a big dinner that's being thrown in honor of Jesus. It's at the house of a man named Simon who used to have leprosy, but Jesus healed him of leprosy, which was a horrible disease that, that created you or that caused you to be like an outcast in society. Also at the dinner are two women named Mary and Martha, their sisters, and also there is their brother whose name is Lazarus. Now, why does John point out, John's telling the story, why does John point out that Lazarus is there? Why is that remarkable? Because a few weeks ago, Lazarus died, and they buried him in a cave, and he was there for several days, and then Jesus showed up and raised him back to life. So they buried his body, and lots of people were there to witness it, and Lazarus comes, Jesus says, Lazarus, come out, and Lazarus comes like shuffling out because he's still all mummified, right? He's wrapped up in cloth. And literally, people have to take the, the grave clothes off of him. And so this was a massive, like, can you, but were you there when that happened? Did you see that? Did you hear the story about that? And so imagine that you get invited to dinner at somebody's house, and one of the dudes there at dinner used to have a horrible disease, but he's been healed. And then there's another guy at the table who was dead a month ago, and now he's not dead anymore, and he's across the table from you, and he's asking you to pass the potato salad. I mean, wouldn't that be crazy? Like, I, like, sure. I mean, what do you say to a guy like that? Like, I want to ask him all kinds of questions. So this is really amazing dinner scene that happens, and, and all kinds of interesting things are happening about it. And the fact that it's not just Jesus who's in that house having dinner, this is almost the end of Jesus' ministry. He's been public figure for three years by this time. But there's also this guy named Lazarus in there having dinner. So because of that, this whole crowd gathers around the house. And um, what they, what they want to see is Lazarus and Jesus and how this works out, how this life-death-life thing um, takes place. Because they've known people who have lived and died, but they haven't really ever met anybody who's lived and then died and then lived again. <laughs> and there's two things happening at and around this dinner that are really, really important. So first of all, Mary anoints Jesus for burial, mm -hmm. and it's this lavish display of love. She, she takes this expensive perfume called Essence of Nard, and it's a really funny word for very seriously smelly, strong, good-smelling perfume. And Jesus would have smelled really good because she poured it all over his feet, and then somehow she uses her hair to wipe his feet. And this was this lavish display of worship. And Jesus knew that it was in preparation for his burial. Mm. So just imagine there's Lazarus there. Jesus had really good smelling feet. Um, Mary, you know, prepared him for burial. And the crowds are gathering because the love of Christ has brought healing to people, spiritual, emotional, yeah. physical healing. And in short, Jesus is bringing life, and all this life, people are drawn to it. Mm -hmm. And they want this true life that Jesus is offering. And the way that he brought them new life was ultimately through his death, his death on a cross. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that happens here that's really important in this scene is that um, some Greeks, which are non-Jewish folks, show up and ask to see Jesus. 
And this is significant for a number of reasons, but mainly the event is an indication to Jesus that of something important, that his death is coming. And so when Jesus hears that these non-Jews are asking for him, he knows and says that the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And that's when he says this strange sentence that yeah, we're talking really about. This really strange sentence, because the dinner is a celebration of life, literally. There's healing and there's new life, and yet there's this woman, Mary, who's anointing Jesus for death. And this is what Jesus says, very, very, very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Now, we don't have wheat fields around our house, but we have oak trees behind our house, and oak trees drop acorns. Acorns are the, the seed of the oak tree, right? And they're beautiful. Sometimes we collect them and we put them on our mantle with other fall leaves and we make these little displays out of them, which is really cool. But that acorn then, that, that oak seed, if it's a part of a display, if it's something that we focus on and we're like, look at this amazing acorn, isn't it beautiful? If it becomes the focus in and of itself, then that's the end of its story, isn't it? It's the end of its story. It's, we, it's sort of like set up like a bouquet of flowers or it's set up like a trophy that we admire. We can shine it up and we can make a really cool arrangement out of it, but that would be the end of its story. And then the acorn would never do what it was created to do. Acorns were designed to become oak trees, to blossom into these amazing, full of leaf, you know, shade providing, home for bird providing plants. Like if you... If you wanted to find out, like it would be really interesting if we could talk, I probably could. I could probably talk to this acorn right now. If I could ask this acorn, Timmy, do you think if I asked this acorn what it wanted to be when it grew up, it would tell me? Let's listen. Oh. <laughs> I always wear the mic on this side, but not tonight. Oh, I hear it. He's saying something to me. That's what he said. He said, I, I heard him. He said he wants to be an oak tree when he grows up. <laughs> but here's the thing. The only, this is, this is going to be hard news for this guy. A lot of acorns don't like this part. But in order for him to be an oak tree, Benjamin Wright, he's going to have to be buried in the ground, right, and die. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Did I lose you with that? I'm You're okay. like, where, where are we going with that? I know, that? it's fine. You didn't tell me notes, you were talking but to Okay. It's all good. So, actually, Jesus isn't talking about acorns. He's talking about us. He's talking about himself primarily, and he's talking about us. The acorn's just a metaphor. Jesus goes on to say some clarifying statements. He says this, anyone who loves their life will lose it while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now, it's very strong language. Jesus doesn't mean that we should hate ourselves in a way that we would understand today. I think what he's trying to do is use really strong language to get your attention and see a contrast that if you focus so much on yourself, you're going to lose the point of your life. If you focus so much on others that people are like, wow, you're so focused on others. It's like mm -hmm. you don't think of yourself, mm -hmm. then you actually receive life. It's kind of a paradox. He goes on and says something else. He says, whoever serves me must follow me. 
Where I am, my servant will also be. My father will honor the one who serves me. So Jesus is using the whole seed dying and then producing more seeds as a metaphor for life. Specifically the idea that death comes before life. This crazy surprising truth that death comes before life or uh, said differently, the real focus of my life is not me. It's good. Okay. It's good. So Jesus is saying sort of two things. I want to re-kind of encapsulate this for you here. That first, by his death, death on a cross, we're going to have new life. Mm -hmm. And it's there's a scripture in Galatians that said, but Christ has rescued us from the curse. The curse is death. Right. When he was hung on the cross, he took it upon himself. He took that curse upon himself. So Jesus is saying, like, I'm going to cover this Mm -hmm. for you guys. And the second thing that he's saying is really a broader life principle, which is that if your life is all focused on you, you are going to miss the whole point of your life. And the metaphor Jesus used in John 12 also applies to us in that there is a sort of death of our own lives that needs to happen to follow Jesus. Now, I'm not talking about a physical death in this instance. What I'm talking about is the tendency that we have to love our lives so much that it becomes an idol and our own desires rule our life versus us surrendering our lives to Jesus. And as we follow Jesus, there's something of a death of our own lordship That happens in exchange for this true life. It's a great deal, honestly, if you think about it, that we get his true life. So Mm. death and sadness and disillusionment, plans not working out the way we hoped they would Mm -hmm. and brokenness, they are not the end of the final story Mm -hmm. for those who follow Jesus. Right. Good. That's good. All right. So we'll push this to the practical here with two examples. Here's one example. Many of us had plans in the last year that haven't worked out, right? Weddings that got canceled, um, plans that had to be either postponed or just not happen at all, Christmas travel that didn't happen, sports seasons that haven't happened, big life events that are like the senior year in high school or big life events like going away to college that just didn't happen. They've just been totally uh, taken away. And things haven't worked out the way we wanted them to. Things haven't worked out the way we hoped. Sometimes our plans, here's the practical application of this. Sometimes our plans or the things that we hope will happen, they just need to, they need to die. They need to be surrendered. It's not necessarily because our plans are bad, but when hard things happen in life and things don't go the way we wanted them to go, we can get stuck. And then we're just stuck. We're like those little toys that just run up against the wall over and over and over and over and over again. They're stuck because they, they wanted to go this way. It changed. Now they can't go this way. And they just can't get out of that direction. It's like they get stuck there. So because they plan to go to college, and now college isn't happening. And so now they're just stuck, right? Or, or maybe they plan to, somebody planned to start a business, and now the situation surrounding the starting of a business has totally changed, and the person is just stuck, just paralyzed and stuck. Or maybe they hope to do like something like summer camp, and now most of the camps in California aren't happening. So now there's just like summer plans are just stuck. So now what? So now sometimes we just need to let our plans die, okay. which is terrifying, isn't it? It's terrifying to let your plans die unless, friends, you believe 
that death is not the end of the story, mm -hmm. okay? Unless you believe that life can come after death. If death is not the end, then you can let go of your plans. You can surrender the way you wanted it to be, believing that God can do something new with the thing that didn't work out. So many of us have dealt with deep disappointment this year, and it's understandable, but we don't need to get stuck there in that disappointment. Yes, you're disappointed. Yes, you're grieving. But if you surrender your plans, if you let your plans get buried like an acorn, God can grow something new out of them. This is really important. Please don't miss this part. I'm not saying you surrender your dreams. I'm not saying you surrender your hopes. I'm saying the way you thought it was going to look, you might need to surrender that. Okay? The specific details of how you wanted it to be, you, you might have to let that go down. Maybe we need to let go of the specific way we plan for things to happen, and then we need to surrender that disappointment to God and say, I'm giving this to you because I'm stuck if I don't. Now, would you create something new mm -hmm. out of even this? Yeah. Here's another example for you in, in this vein. It's sometimes we ourselves need to decrease. And it talks about this in John. John says, I must decrease, he must increase. And it's sort of this idea that I become less, so there's space Good. for Christ to come and fill up that place and that he would be increased in our lives. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that happens by serving others. Sometimes that happens even by just a reduction in our own comforts and yeah. luxuries and things like that. Um, but let me tell you a story that I think will illustrate this a little bit more. About 20 years ago, my friend, Hirut, who lives in Ethiopia, she was minding her own business and taking care of her three kids at the time. They were little. And Harut, she's a woman, she loves Jesus and was determined and dedicated to follow him. Um, and there was a ruckus in the village that she lived in, picture like rural Africa. And because a woman there who had recently died while giving childbirth to her baby. So there was a bit of a ruckus in the town. And as was custom in that tribe due to superstitions or superstitious beliefs, the baby was cursed, and that baby girl was to be left with the body of her mother, which would result in the baby's death. So that was the custom. And Harut, she knew that this was a horrible injustice to this child. And while it was not practical for her to take in a baby with three little kids at home, God was calling her to rescue this baby. So in the middle of the night... She went to where the mother's body was and took the baby girl who was with the body of the mother, just laying there uncared for. Mm. And this girl, her name is Lydia, and she just messaged me this morning, actually, uh, which made me say, That's I got to tell this story, yeah. uh, because she was so proud that she's starting her job at the Red Cross in her little village. Mm. Um, she just recently graduated. That's her. That's her root. The woman in white is her root, her adopted mother who raised her. And she just completed pharmacy tech school mm. a few months ago and started her job today, That's uh, which is so awesome. Yeah. Um, and I was just thinking about how Really, it can't be overstated, given the lack of opportunities in her area, how amazing this mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. um, but Harut, 
and her husband, there was something of a decrease that they embraced yeah. to bring this about. Their personal desires, they, they laid those down. Yeah. And it was through their willingness to de- decrease which honestly had been practiced a long time by the time this need arose, that, and their loss, the the willingness to lose their own life, that a harvest of service and compassion came, and that life came out of it. And I just want to say that the, the death, the death preceding life, the death that I'm talking about in this instance is not the fact that this girl's birth mom died. Hmm. It's the fact that Danieto and Herut were submitted and yielded to Jesus Mm. and were willing to lay down their lives for whatever he had for them, that this harvest of life came in Lydia's life. Mm -hmm. And it is perpetuated through Lydia because I am telling you, this young woman is awesome and she will change the world. And she carries that same compassion Mm. and love and generosity that have really been given to her and modeled to her by her adoptive parents. Um, So anyway... That's so good. Yeah. Thanks for telling us that story. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So connect the dots for us here at the end, Melissa. That's an yeah. awesome story. Now, how, how specifically does that connect to Lent, the season of good Lent? Good question. Good. So Lent is a time from now until Easter, if you're unfamiliar, to practice this idea of decrease. Okay, good. Uh, the decrease we embrace during Lent is a sacrifice of love, much like Mary pouring that perfume on Jesus' feet or Harut rescuing a child. Mm-hmm. Uh, pra- practicing decrease makes space, like I already mentioned, mm-hmm. for Jesus to increase in our lives. And in essence, we allow something to die so that Jesus can bring us his life. That's good. Good. Thank you. Mm-hmm. That's great. All right. Here's what we're going to do. Um, this next 40 days, I encourage you to embrace a discipline that goes along with the season of Lent, something new. Either add something or subtract something from your life. Um, and these, this page uh, with the four boxes, it might trigger some questions that would help you know what would be helpful for you to add or subtract from your life. The point isn't to give up chocolate so that you can say, I gave up chocolate for Lent. The, the point is to try to connect some discipline with your relationship with Jesus and do something that will help you grow in that relationship. If, if you are taking up too much space and you don't have room for Jesus, then find a way for you to decrease so that there can be more room for Jesus. I'm adjusting my morning routine to make more room for Jesus. Okay? I'm going to give up a meal so I can feel my need for Jesus, which sometimes I just take for granted that I have him. So I want to encourage you as we sing here at the end and maybe as you go home, have a conversation with somebody that you love and say, man, what kind of discipline might I embrace during Lent that would be helpful to me spiritually? That's the first physical response. And then here's the, the, the second. Tonight, we're going to give you the opportunity to receive the sign of the cross in ashes on your forehead. Um, you don't need to do that, but you're welcome and invited to do that. Why ashes? Because it is a symbol of death that you are going to die, and it's a very visceral reminder that you have come from dust, and to dust you will return. Why the shape of the cross? Because that's our hope, right? Right. Christ died for us so that death does not have the final word in our life. So I'm not just receiving a symbol of death. I'm also 
there's this beautiful, amazing paradox. I'm receiving the symbol of death in the form of the symbol of life, mm-hmm. right? Because of the end of the story of Christ, right? So it's, this, it's, it's dust or ashes on, in the shape of the cross on our forehead. Why our forehead? It's supposed to symbolize your true identity, what you lead with, who you really are, right? And, and, and this is the invitation to embrace the reality that you are a child of God, You have sinned, but Christ has rescued you from that sin. This could be your core identity. Mm -hmm. This could change everything. This story could become your story. And all kinds of peace and confidence and direction and boldness and clarity and the assurance of God's love can be yours. Because this is who I am. I'm a sinner saved by grace. I am a child of God. So we'll give you an opportunity to receive um, the ashes here in a minute. Do you have a final word? Yeah, I do. When you receive these ashes tonight, I want to encourage you to do so with hope. Because just as Jesus' sacrifice produced a harvest, so can yours. Uh, And that's exciting to me. Um, While our sacrifice is a surrendered heart to Jesus, and it seems small in comparison to what Jesus did for us, it will produce a harvest Uh, Death comes before life. Our disappointments are not wasted in Jesus. In our response to those deaths, those losses in our life, we can surrender to and trade that death for his life in us. So we embrace death or decrease just as a gardener who prunes in the knowledge that a reduction needs to take place in order for new life to come. We embrace a kind of death with the hope and the promise that as we decrease, Christ will increase in our life. And we embrace this pruning with hope and promise of resurrection and the fresh new life that we have in Jesus. Amen.